Welcome to In the Stacks, brought to you by the Lewistown Public Library in Lewistown, Montana, a podcast about the wide and wild world of libraries. listeners. So it is finally April. We are coming into spring, which doesn't mean a whole lot here in Montana, considering we currently have snow on the ground, but we embrace it anyway. There's an air of hope and renewal and excitement and lightness, and it is absolutely the perfect time to dive into some poetry. April is designated as National Poetry Month by the Academy of American Poets, and this year, 2021, marks the 25th anniversary of this celebration. Though the brilliance of poetry can and should be recognized all year long, this specifically designated month especially highlights the extraordinary legacy and ongoing achievement of American poets encourages readers of all ages to experience the reading and writing of poetry, and assists educators and librarians in bringing the joy of poetry to their students and patrons. I myself just signed up for the Poem a Day newsletter, and I can't wait to receive the little gift of a poem in my inbox throughout the month of April. Today, we bring you poetry. Danny and I talk about our takes on poetry, and share several of our favorite poems to kickstart you on your National Poetry Month journey. Check out the show notes for where all of these poems can be found. As Danny and I discuss in this episode, poetry does many things and can contain multitudes. Whether archaic or freshly modern, long or short, complicated and meandering, or simple and direct, Poetry is more than just words and more than just an author's intention. It is about the experience and what it brings to the individual who is reading it. So, without further ado, here is some poetry. here today and we are going to talk about something unique, special, fun, and awesome. Brittany, what are we talking about today? By the time this comes out, it will be the month of April. And April is a very special time in the library library <laughs> The library-ature land. That's the land of libraries and I literature. I think they that is the house <laughs> I, I live in. It's a very special month. It is National Poetry Month. So, spoiler alert, we're bringing you guys some poetry today. Yay! Oh my gosh, we can hear you cheering from from all the way across town. (laughs) We are. We're going to talk about poetry. And it's really funny, when I talk about poetry with people, they immediately go, ugh, I don't like poetry. Mm -hmm. But Brittany, the foundation of poetry leads to lyric. And what is lyric but music? Yeah. 
And who doesn't love a good song? So we we did so much research. We it looked was Merriam-Webster. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Come on. It wasn't Wikipedia. We're classier. We're librarians. Um, and we found the definition of poetry. And they define it very uh, rigidly, I would say, as poetry tied to music. And I think... Mm-hmm. I think they, uh, of course, they're right, <laughs> and that's the classic sense of poetry. But I think poetry is a little bit more than just a lyric or a stanza connected yeah. to a song. Yeah. Right? What would you say po- poetry is? I don't know. In some ways, I see it as very, like, poetry are lyrics. Lyrics are poetry when we're thinking about mm-hmm. music. And... Like, I think about what's the more difficult thing to produce, a song or a poem. Mm. And in some ways, I think poetry, because there's not the music to fall back on to kind of fill those silent It's kind of bare. It's Yeah, it's very skeletal, and it has to be built on a very strong foundation of words. And on the other hand, I'm not musical. I can't make music, (laughs) so I can't... Uh, but I have, yeah, no room to judge the difficulty of how hard it is to make a song, you know, how hard it is to make the music. But it's really interesting you know. that we're going to start off with this because it ties really nicely into one of my favorite poets. And we're going to talk about a whole bunch of poems and poetry later. But this this individual ties in really nicely with what we're talking about and kind of the foundation of poetry. Yeah, let's do it. And her name is Sappho. Oh, I hope everyone from this podcast remembers that name. So Sappho is an archaic Greek poet. Uh, They estimate her life between 630 and 570 BCE. So she's rocking in the world two millennia ago now. Dang. She is brilliant, though. Sappho was known for her lyric poetry. Mm, Interesting how we're going to tie this. Um, and it was often written to be sung accompanied by the lyre. So poetry as lyrical is tied in because it was played. You spoke the poetry with the lyre playing in the background. Oh. And Sappho was one of the initial poets to do this. And in ancient times, Sappho was widely regarded as one of the greatest lyric poets and was given names such as the Tenth Muse She was also called the poetess, and her counterpoint was the poet, and that was Homer. Ah! So we have Sappho and Homer kind of rocking Greece about the same time, and they're creating this foundational literature known as poetry, and they are this catalyst group. So that's where poetry is, like, built from. This is, like, the bedrock. This is bedrock stuff. Nice. And I will read you, just right now, one of her fragments. So, again, she lived... A very long time ago and her poetry is like fragmented out so they only have pieces of things uh-huh. and they put things together in a contemporary fashion wow which one do we do apple <laughs> or hyacinth Ooh, you pick apple or hyacinth apple apple okay you an achilles apple blushing sweet on a high branch at the tip of the tallest tree You escaped those who would pluck your fruit. Not that they didn't try, no. They could not forget you, poised beyond their reach. Ooh. Like, 
you're looking at an apple tree and that comes out of yeah. you. Like, I'm like, hey, it's an apple. That's pretty. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Sappho is this, is this wonderful, amazing poet that creates this uh, style. One of the, the, the phrases that I found and little quotes about her that I found that I just loved is that she's known for her metrical complexity and innovation. So she created her poems in meters, and she's known for a very specific metered style, and for all the vowel-rich melody in her verse. Ooh. She's rooted in the vowel. It's a great nice. open mouth. It is the content that fascinated her readers. Her poems are, for all their dazzling craft, repeatedly praised as spontaneous, simple, direct, and honest. Man. Those are good qualities. I think an important thing, and that kind of hits on it, with poetry is like the accessibility of the language, I think is a really big thing with poetry. Like I read some poems and I'm like, this is so like esoteric (laughs) and up here somewhere. And it almost, I'm like, am I too stupid to understand what they're saying? Or is it just so individual to the author that... It's too difficult for a reader to understand. There's a certain, like, you know, attractive quality to that kind of, that kind of poetry where you can inject your own meaning into it, interpret it however, you know, it feels to you. But there's also the kind of poetry, at least, that I gravitate to, maybe because I'm not so, like... Which up here. is, she is up there, guys. Uh, she's our Scorpio. She's got all the uh, But I gravitate toward the poetry that's a little more accessible. Like, it's a little more, uh, that comes from more of a story. Mm-hmm. It's just a little easier to, like, understand and follow. Yeah. For me, personally. Well, and I think that's the power of a lot of the best poetry, is that it is simplistic in verse, uh-huh. yet embodies the magnitude that is yeah in those the very simple words like you use yeah. all of like distilling big exactly exactly to, yeah exactly the thing about poetry that's most endearing is how how deeply it embeds itself in our cultural psyche and how that culture can carry for generations. Yeah. Again, we're using all of that simplistic verbiage and terminology, and we're saying things that will move through time very, very well. Yep. But if you think about it, all of those best poets, or maybe even not the poet, but the best poem, uh-huh. you can remember literally at the drop of a pen. Yeah. Like if I said, quoth the raven nevermore, you're <laughs> like, man, Poe, I'm back in high school. Yeah. What are we talking about? Or even Rage Against the Dying of the Light that spoke to the 60s generation uh-huh. really, really well with Dylan Thomas and how, yeah. how much he was, he was gravitating for that. And then even further back, if you say something like, um, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear, fear no evil. Yeah. It's interesting because a lot of religious text and doctrine is written in lyrical or poet yeah, poetry that's so style. Interesting. And it's because it carries better. Yeah. You think of your greatest author, and some of us may have like three or four sentences that they wrote that really empowered us, 
But you think of just a run-of-the-mill poet that you haven't interacted with very much. You know lines of their poems, like mm-hmm. Robert Frost. Like, mm-hmm. oh, for uh, sure. Which one is his? And miles to go, miles to go before I sleep. Yeah. Like, have you thought of Frost re- recently? No. But his poem is still with you, right? Because it's simple, it's yep. short, and it touched your soul. Yeah. And that's why religious literature does that. Like, yeah, we need it simple. We need it memorable, and we need it to touch your soul. And that's the fascinating thing about poetry. It is so infused in all parts of our culture. Yeah. And yet so many people are like, ugh, I hate poetry. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you like poetry. I promise you. <sighs> Can I read one? Of course. Yes, I've been hogging so the reading you, time. So you talked about, uh, like, or you t- touched on, like, the cultural relevancy. Mm-hmm. Of poems. I've got, yeah, I've got a fairly recent one. So this poem is by Maggie Smith, is the name of the woman that wrote this. And this poem was first published in Waxwing in 2016, and then kind of blew up on the internet that year, like 2016 into 2017. She wrote a book afterwards that this poem was in. Um, And this was kind of the time when a lot of violence was occurring in the world. Mm -hmm. This was right around when uh, the Pulse nightclub shooting happened. I think it was right around when Sandy Hook happened. So there was a lot of just really intense things happening in our country. And she wrote this poem as sort of a response to that. And then the world just kind of discovered it and it blew up. But this is called Good Bones by Maggie Smith. Life is short, though I keep this from my children. Life is short, and I've shortened mine in a thousand delicious, ill-advised ways. A thousand deliciously ill-advised ways I'll keep from my children. The world is at least 50% terrible, and that's a conservative estimate, though I keep this from my children. For every bird, there is a stone thrown at a bird. For every loved child, a child broken, begged, sunk in a lake. Life is short and the world is at least half terrible. And for every kind stranger, there is one who would break you, though I keep this from my children. I am trying to sell them the world. Any decent realtor walking you through a real shithole chirps on on about good bones. This place could be beautiful, right? You could make this place beautiful. That's, That's good bones. So... Okay, this is the best thing about poetry, yeah. is it speaks to other poetry. Uh-huh. And there's a poem written, I think, in the 1940s or 50s by Edna St. Vincent Millay. Uh-huh. And it's called, Childhood is a Place Where No One Dies. Oh, wow. And so when you read That's those like first lines... title. <laughs> exactly. So you read that first little stanza, and then my brain jumps immediately back to that, which is so fascinating. And that's that cultural relevancy. Yeah. Poetry most directly confronts the reality we live in. Yeah. It has the simplicity and yet is laden with a metaphor. Yeah, that's a great thing about this poem, too, is there's a lot of metaphor, but a lot of, like, literal as well. And then I loved at the very end kind of centering it around the house and this place could be beautiful and all the things that this place could be and all the things that beautiful can mean. 
It's like so a tearjerker. <laughs> and now we're crying. <laughs> no. Don't mind us. No. We should be. These are powerful. But that's the thing is poetry starkly views some terrible things. And it does it with very simple and yet direct yeah. views. Whereas in literature, you could have six or seven paragraphs, chapters that discuss what that poem just said. Yeah. Poetry just slaps it right in front of yeah. you and you can't look away. Yeah. And literature, it's like about painting a picture, like a full, mm-hmm. a full world, full characters. And poetry is just like a gut punch. Like it's visceral yep. emotion, mm-hmm. like right to the point. Even if that's through like metaphoric kind of uh, less direct means, it's succinct. Well, it's layered. You yeah. know, it does have that, like, slap you in the face directness. But then it brings in the power of metaphor, mm-hmm. and it adds that layer underneath that then you're... It's like you experience within those layers. You you see the upfront verbiage, and that affects you. And then you move deeper into the metaphor, and that affects you even more. Yeah. And then you move deeper into the time and place that you're seeing this, and that affects you even more. And each time you approach that poem... You live those layers again, and they're different and more empowering. And then what you find is they're more cementing in your mind and the cultural reference. Yeah. Like, I was just thinking about this. Why why do we have a poet laureate read at the inauguration? Yeah. Why don't point. we have great authors stand and, or I shouldn't say that, literature or long people people that write long books <laughs> aka um why don't we have the appropriate term they got it <laughs> and I was like maybe that's a uh, wormhole um but why do we have them stand and read something to us why and when yeah. did that when did that tradition start it's the the power of poetry is amazing yeah some crazy stuff. It's awesome. I am awe-inspired. And we were talking about this earlier. As you might have guessed, I'm a person of many words. <laughs> <laughs> Verbose is sometimes a word used to describe me. And it has always been awe-inspiring. Those authors and those words that can address things succinctly and powerfully. Yeah. You know, And that's what poetry does. It's amazing. It does it. Um, Side note here. Me and Brittany have done some research on poems and been looking into things. And one thing that I ran into, and I'm sure you might run into if you do your own research on poetry, is the Poetry Foundation. And that's an online resource that a lot of these poems are actually published. And you can access them and read them. Basically, it's an open source. Yeah. The Poetry Foundation Online is the publisher of Poetry Magazine, and they state that they exist to discover and celebrate the best poetry and to place it before the largest possible audience. So if you're intrigued by some of the stuff that you're hearing, definitely check out that uh, resource and you'll find an amazing collection of uh, poetry throughout the ages. I recommend. I think we should just talk about some of our favorite poems. Sure. I just read one, so you should dive right in. Oh my gosh. What do I do? Do I do short? Do I do longer? 
Whatever calls to you. <sighs> what calls to me? I will do The Peace of Wild Things by Wendell Berry. Wendell Berry is an American poet. He is, I would say, modern or current. But like you'll notice from most of the poems that I love, it addresses large emotions and feelings and thoughts in a way that is mirrored in nature. So everything is rooted in nature. I feel nice. like I've become a nature poem person <laughs> as I've become older. So, the peace of the wild things. Listen. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound, in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water, and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things, who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the peace of still water, and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting for their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. Oh, I love that. Again, and this is what good poetry does, it addresses the big sadness or the big grief uh -huh. or the the fears and anxieties and then comes like cuddling in yeah. and embraces you in that calm uh -huh. and rest and relax oh i love poetry that's a good one well, who is it wendell berry wendell berry and you know if you guys visit the lewistown public library you could even check out a small porch which is a book of oh. Wendell Berry's poetry. And I also <laughs> wanted to mention whatever relevant <laughs> links that we have, I'll put in the show notes so everyone can enjoy the lovely, the wonderful poetry. All right. You're gonna love poetry, guys. Yeah, it can be so many different things. Uh, this poem that I'm gonna read is totally a different uh, direction than the one Danny just did, but. <laughs> This is a poem by an individual named Matt Mitchell. Um, he has a book coming out in May called The Neon Hollywood Cowboy that I'm super, super excited to read. Um, and this poem was published um, in Hobart online in December of 2020. So it's super recent. And I'm not going to read the whole thing because it's kind of long, but I'll do about the first half of it. So this is called I Should Have Never Left the Great Lakes. I hate this place. <laughs> I love it already. <laughs> All right. Let us use the Fibonacci sequence to understand why 10 coffins became boats atop the, atop the surface of Alum Creek on Christmas Eve, and why Mama spent all of 2015 saying bell bottoms were coming back, and then the next summer she was dead, or why the endo said my fertility wouldn't come back when it wasn't ever there in the first place. My test tube son says he misses Ohio, even though he's never been, says the small of his arms can cut up moons. Yet it's his pail that's my pail and his sunken chest my chest. He dresses up as a brook trout for career day, <laughs> steals my prescription for show and tell, and says it's the battery for his daddy's body. Every night he writes Santa a letter, asking for needles like mine so we can match. And before bed, he begs me to tell him a bedtime scenario. This time I say, can you imagine going ice fishing at the nearby man-made lake 
and pulling up to a cemetery, bursting through the water and somehow forgiving it. I'll stop there, but that's part of that one. So it's sad. That's a heavy one. <laughs> so it's sad. It's sad, but, but it's life. It is, yeah. And it's, it's told from... I don't know, it's interesting because it's kind of from a child's perspective. Through their parents' eyes. Yeah, yeah. So it's... See, and that and it's very starts rooted. ricocheting through your heart. Because yeah. then you start thinking, what is my child's perception? Again, if you have children, if you don't, that's also okay. But what is my child's perception? What do I perceive my child's perception to be? And it's very rooted in... Aut- in objects, I can't talk, very rooted in objects, which I like in poems and in stories too, where the objects themselves are imbued with a sense yeah, of metaphors for reality. So much like, else. They are a metaphor, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, here we've got bell bottoms and. Well, and even like and the, the thing like the he comes as the battery. The mm-hmm. prescription is the battery for my dad's body. Yeah. Like, and again, I loved that line that alone, just those two lines are very like potent just on their own. Isn't that great? So I love how, so listeners, my dear friends, I bet you're starting to pick up on a sense of self from both Brittany and I, just by what we are offering to read to you. Mm-hmm. And it is, it is this wonderful, great amazing snapshot into each person's personality. Yeah. The poetry and the literature that they gravitate to helps a community form around them. So, you know, the group that you attach to, but also it highlights and shares who you are with another person without actually having to like be open about who you are. Yeah. It's wonderful. I love it. It's interesting too, like a couple of these poets, I'm going to sound like a dork, but like I follow these people on Twitter and, you know, and kind of listen to the things that they say and the things they promote. And I don't know, it's silly to say that, you know, people more by following them on social media, but you get this glimpse into their Mm -hmm. life that causes you to read their work differently. Yes. And I feel like that poem and then this one I'm going to read next it's kind of the same thing. Like I know this po- poet's story. And so it makes the poems that much more uh-huh. uh, potent. I think I've used the word potent like three times. But it's a good poems one. are potent. Poems are potent. Plus that's fun to say. Yeah. Um, you should read yours because you sure. just said. I can do that. Um, so this next, let me find it. Okay. This next poem comes from a collection of poems titled In This Quiet Church of Night, I Say Amen by Devin Kelly. And Devin is a really interesting individual. Um, I've listened to a couple interviews with him before, and he just has a really interesting story. Um, So he's a runner. He has a very uh, difficult family history growing up um that is all imbued in his poetry really intensely and so that's another example of like reading these poems knowing this guy's story 
makes them really that much more intense. And mm-hmm. I don't think I'd read into them the same way if I didn't know where he was coming from, mm-hmm. you know? He's also a teacher in New York City, so that kind of plays into this poem as well. So this one that I'm going to read, just part of, not the whole thing, was first published in Luna Luna magazine. And this poem is called Yesterday When I Was Teaching I Nearly Cried. And I'm starting about halfway through. I nearly cried. I nearly cried because I read Terence Hayes' God is an American to a room full of slightly beyond children and their stares had the glossed over look of just misted poetry. Just just misted produce. <laughs> poetry. <laughs> Poetry's in everything, guys. Let me start again. That was terrible. I'm sorry, David. <laughs> okay. Let me start again. I nearly cried. I nearly cried because I read Terence Hayes' God is an American to a room full of slightly beyond children and their stares had the glossed over look of just misted produce. And I could only talk of how a sonnet is a breakable kind of form and not of how some mornings I woke before you did and touched your skin for a long time. Adulthood then seemed less of a cliff jump than a wading into warm water. I wanted our love to be a myth other people studied a whisper of wind softening the pages of a book. But this can't happen. It's gone now. Not even a poem could save it. Not even the calm memory of a morning spent waking into your hair. Before the class where I nearly cried, I printed that poem off the internet and photocopied it 30 times. A sonnet is a breakable kind of form. I poured a cup of coffee for myself, but my hands were shaking so much that the liquid jumped an edge and stained the warm pages. The, the liquid jumped an edge. Like, how awesome of a yeah. thinker do you have to be to think of it that way? Instead of like, I spilled my coffee, right? And it ties <laughs> back to the line, adulthood then seemed less of a cliff, cliff jump than a wading into warm water. And there you've got liquid jumping. It's just very, Isn't that great? very smart. I just loved like the image of all the very like visceral elements of, uh, I printed the poem off the internet, photocopied it. The pages are still warm. They're stained with coffee. Like you could see all of these, again, the objects. You can see all of them, exactly what those really subtle, specific details of that pile of printed off Mm -hmm. poems looks like. And then how the children just didn't, you know, they had the glossed over look of just misted produce. Like it was just (laughs) so important to this character in this poem who I can only guess is Devin Kelly um (laughs) how this poem was so or this piece this God is an American is so important to them and just went past these kids and how sad that is and all of that sadness is put into this object of the pile of printed out poems Poems. that's what I got out of it I love 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 that poem so that's from In This Quiet Church of Night, I Say Amen by Devin Kelly. Highly recommend everything Highly he does. Highly recommend. Oh, good words. I think it's interesting that you read that. Some of these monolithic poems we are taught very young. Mm-hmm. And I remember having to memorize uh, Robert Frost's Road. Nothing against my high school teachers. <laughs> but I was a flippant ninth grader. Yeah. So I didn't understand. I just memorized the words and moved on. 
and my eyes probably were that glazed over glassiness. But the thing that it does is it introduces you to something very powerful. And hopefully you can revisit that at a time in your life when it becomes even more uh, powerful to your, mm-hmm. to your life. And interestingly, I, I, I read a poem very, very early January 2020, and I decided that it was going to be my, my resolution for the year 2020. That's folks. pre-plague time. Uh-huh. That now listen to this ago. poem. Oh my gosh. It, it's something that comes to you exactly when it should, and you don't realize the magnitude of it until later. And so I'm sitting at home. Honestly, it was like January 2nd or 3rd, and I was like, I need a resolution. It's been one heck of a year. 2019, one heck of a year. I'm ready for 2020. And I was reading Mary Oliver and her book, Felicity. Oh, you love Mary Oliver. I love it. So, <laughs> so Mary Oliver passed away, uh, I think, in 2019 or 2018. And um, I was very distraught because she is my favorite. She's like my... She's like my heart song. (laughs) Mary Oliver and I, she gets me. Um, So I was like, I need to just, I just need to sit down and read. So I opened up this wonderful little unassuming book called Felicity. Mm -hmm. And the very first poem is entitled, Don't Worry. Things take the time they take. Don't worry. How many roads did St. Augustine follow before he became St. Augustine? Wow. I've heard you say that very first line. Things so take many the times time they and, take. Oh, to hear, I've never heard the end of it before. Yep. So this is a lovely oh, little totally two-sentence poem. Yeah. And this was the very first thing that I read, and it literally made me cry. Oh. Like, it was that thing that was like, Ping! <laughs> it gotcha! Tay! And sincerely, that has been one of my, like, mottos in life. Because, I don't know if, if you guys don't know me, I'm an incredibly impatient person, and I am, I'm kind of a driver, and so I don't, I don't believe that life should take the time it takes other people. <laughs> but that poem, sincerely, took over my life. Yeah. Things take the time they take. Now, fast forward three months in 2020, <laughs> and literally the world went to chaos. It was taking the time that it needed to take. But it was this perfect mantra that I had. Thank yeah. you, Mary. Thank you, Mary. You spoke to me. I oh, appreciate it. Oh, that's perfect. Um, but she, so I'm sitting in meeting after meeting and discussion after discussion of all of this. When will this end? When will this COVID junk end? When will the library open? When will we be able to do programs? When will the grocery store not be so scary? (laughs) (laughs) When will these things happen? And people wanted to have these dates and these times. And in the back of my mind, sincerely for an entire year, I just kept saying, this will take the time it takes. Instead of, and it was, it released all of that pressure because I could, uh, there was no way I knew when the library was going to open, especially March 15th when we closed. There was no way. I was like, I don't know. I hope in in a while. (laughs) Someday. (laughs) Someday. But that was the thing that got me through. 
And that's the power of poetry. Literally, that sentence has no special word. No. But it's that distillation. Exactly. Yeah. To like the simplest thing. And like so that's... simple that you wouldn't think to think it on your own. Exactly. You know? And it's that thing that you can hold on to. Things take the time they take will sit in my heart and my brain and probably the people that I interact with forever. Because it's so simple and wonderful and powerful and meaningful. All the fulls. Nice. Things take the time they take. Don't worry. Oh, I love that. I love that whole story. I love this whole book. I would sit and read this to you guys. Isn't it a joy that we have that in the library collection? We do. We have this. You can check this out. Call number 811 Oliver if you want it. It's for you. I even brought it back. It did take me months. I did renew many times. But man, oh man, Mary Oliver. She has so many other good ones. Oh my gosh. Who do you have in your hands now, well, Brittany? I would. I am the youth librarian, and I would be remiss if I didn't read a piece of uh, poetry, you know, directed toward children. And I think the quintessential children's poet <laughs> is Shel Silverstein. Right? Shel, I love the Giving Tree. Oh my, my God. goodness! So good. So where the sidewalk ends. I mean, God, when I read this when I was a kid, even still reading through these poems, like that rhythm is like ingrained in my mind. And it makes you laugh out loud. Oh my God. And he says all those funny things that you're not supposed to say. Totally. Totally. I love Where the Sidewalk Ends is just a classic. I love it. So I picked from this one, my favorite Shel Silverstein. (laughs) And again, it's pretty long, so I'm just going to read a little bit of it. But this is Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout would not take the garbage out. Here <laughs> I we can't go. believe you're gonna try it. Go for it. Oh like my god, of course. Do it. Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout would not take the garbage out. She'd scour the pots and scrape the pans, candy the yams and spice the hams. <laughs> and though her daddy would scream and shout, she simply would not take the garbage out. And so it piled up to the ceilings, coffee grounds, potato peelings. Brown bananas, rotten peas, chunks of sour cottage cheese. It filled the can, it covered the floor. It cracked the window and blocked the door. With bacon rinds and chicken bones, drippy ends of ice cream cones, prune pits, peach pits, orange peel, (laughs) gloppy glumps of cold oatmeal, pizza crust and withered greens, soggy beans and tangerines, crusts of black burnt buttered toast, gristly bits of beefy roast. The garbage rolled on down the hall. It raised the roof and broke the wall. And I'll stop there. It's about halfway through, but God, I love that. Like the rhythm is so great. It's comforting. The you think of it and you're so like, I remember being a little kid and loving that metered yeah. rhyme to learn how oh, to yeah. read. And I love what he does this in a lot of his poems is that kind of like listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of style, which he nails in this one. And in all, he's got all of these, it's really like visceral. He's kind of like going for that gross out reaction. Yeah, exactly. Um, that like engages you. Like you can see brown bananas. You can smell sour cottage cheese. <laughs> all this disgusting stuff that just like 
that it's Sarah hilarious Cynthia Stout. and it's disgusting. What is her name? Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Stout. Sarah Cynthia Cynthia Sylvia. Stout. But it's all the things that kids love. Exactly. You know, disgusting, silly, <laughs> wonderfulness. Things that rhyme. And also, the other thing about Shell is Shell. Like I know him personally. We're, we're actually on first name basis. <laughs> um, are the illustrations that go along with these poems? They're really simple. They're just like pen and ink, but they're, <laughs> they're creepy almost. Yep. Like, I think everything with Shel Silverstein, it, it's like the stuff that kids aren't supposed to see, the stuff that kids aren't supposed to talk about. It like makes kids feel a little rebellious yep. Yep. to read his work. Um, not that it's like scary or inappropriate or anything like that but it's it's body humor yeah it's totally like this dude peanut butter sandwich man is yeah. so creepy but like but as a kid you love that yeah exactly it's not scary but it pushes the boundary yes exactly it rides that edge of mm -hmm. like what kids can get away with which i think is why they're drawn to shell silver scene and, and this is the like books they're hundreds of pages long with a very scant amount of images and they're older too like i'm trying to find this was the 30th anniversary copy in 2004 so, so we're 84 74 <laughs> i can do math i don't know i'm a librarian but i mean this is still like relevant today kids still like this is flying off the shelf still as it should be so shell can still get the kids She'll still hang. The kids the are all right. <laughs> I I just love I love encountering the various forms of poetry. And again, it's short, it's simple, and that means that you can kind of absorb so many different kinds. You can have a kids book and that's actually a poem. Or you sit and you open Felicity by Mary Oliver, not that I'm name dropping again. And you read it over and over and over, and it takes you months to absorb the meaning of the words. Mm -hmm. Like, poems are the best. Yeah. That's why there's a whole month dedicated to them. Yeah. April. And a whole lifetime you have to read them as well. It is amazing. Become aware in April, but don't give up in May. <laughs> Become aware and then keep for the rest of the year. Yeah. Your favorite poem. Hang it up. Live by it. Be it. Get it tattooed. Yeah. Your, you should get that, Mary Oliver. I, I need to. Like, I, I honestly need it, like, somewhere on my body. You because should. it is my mantra. Things will take the time they take. Yeah. I'm going to leave you with a list of names. Sure. And I just... These are... Poets are amazing. If you can write good poetry, you are in this world forever yeah even if you're no longer existing in this world. isn't that great <laughs> my angelou robert frost ee e. cummings langston hughes walt whitman elizabeth baring browning edgar Allan poe pablo neruda john dunn sylvia plath shakespeare what wordsworth wadsworth don't you love <laughs> john milton dante tennyson william blake john keats Percy Shelley, Emily Dickinson. That's all the classics. Those are the big guys. And I was like, these are just like the titans of yeah. the game. What about all these other, where, the new titans? The, the I know. People like Sappho, who, like Homer is not even on here. Yeah. Like, the enormity of poetry 
and how well it can translate through the generations is the thing that makes me so fascinated by it. It's yeah. immortal. Oh, yeah. You can tap into immortality with poetry. I just have so much respect for poets because it is so hard <laughs> to Isn't write. It? Like, uh, I'm a writer, so when I read anything, I look at it like from a writer's perspective and I'm, I'm consuming the story, I'm consuming the words, but I'm also thinking like what was going through this author's head as they were writing this? How did they conceive of this thing? And when I read poetry, I'm like, I can't even begin. Like, where do you even think of dart? Even like the poems that I've tried to write, they come out like a story. They don't come out like a, you know, some really thoughtfully conceived lyrical little gem. (laughs) They're just like a short story with all the articles cut out. Yeah, that's all I have. It's just a short story. It's... It is amazing. It is amazing the ability to do that and to be live boldly enough to say that's all I wanted yeah. to say. And to see things in different ways and in simple ways, in simple terms, distill it all down. It's such a like unique talent. Someone teach me. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> I want to do this. Poems are awesome. Read poems. We have a lot of them. Come visit us up at the library. Me and Brittany will talk your ear off about the really, really good ones. Yes. Yes. Even the bad ones, too. Yeah. We'll share those. Dear friends, we've made it to the end. Thanks for joining us on our adventure into poetry. Brittany and I really enjoyed making this episode and we're really excited to share it with you. And as a little parting note, I wanted to share a quick haiku with you. It's called A Poppy Blooms by Hokusai. I write, erase, rewrite. Erase again, and then poppy blooms. I love that. Our author here is using the imagery of the spring season to describe his writing process. How very fitting for what we've just discussed. Again, I hope this episode has piqued your interest and maybe you're feeling like coming to the library and into the stacks to see what else we have for you. Thanks again. Next time on In the Stacks with Brittany and I, we are going to dive deeply into tales about tales. It's hard to convey this message via voice, but the first tale is spelt T-A-L-E, and the second one is T-A-I-A-L. Yep, we're going to talk about animals. And the reason we're doing this is because it's our summer reading theme. Yeah, we're going to have a program. And we're excited to share it with you. So join us next time on In the Stacks.
In the Stacks is produced by the staff at the Lewistown Public Library in Lewistown, Montana. Subscribe to In the Stacks on Spotify, Google, and all other major podcast platforms. Follow us at LPLGram on Instagram or Lewistown Public Library on Facebook for the latest updates on library happenings, including the podcast. If you have an idea for an episode or a topic you would like us to explore, email us at lewistownpubliclibrary at gmail.com. Thank you for supporting the library. Thank you.